hits all the time. We are family. Next double-digit case. We're busting ours. Kick yours. Fun to watch. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, two, two, one. Welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast, everybody. Thank you for tuning in on the Mass and National YouTube channel, Facebook page, and the Mass and National Twitter account. We're in the Mass and uh, Web Studio, not Web Studio anymore, Newsroom. Bobby Blanco, Amy Jang's back with me this week. Uh, we got a lot to get to this week. It's going to be the trade deadline episode that's coming up on this Monday. We're about the halfway point through the season. I'll also talk to Mark Zuckerman at MassInSports.com later on in the podcast about how he sees the Nationals approaching this unique trade deadline. And we're going to break down how it's different this year, some names to keep an eye on as uh, the deadline on Monday approaches. But Amy, first of all, how was your vacation? You were out last week. Yes, I went to um, Ocean City with my family, nice, um, which was a lot of fun. The beach was kind of busier than I thought it was going to be. Really? We could still social distance, um, and it was good. Good to get away. A little freaky? A little bit. Yeah. A little bit, but... I've had my my I've had cousins who le- they have a beach house in Bethany and they have just been living there during oh. all of this and I'm so so See, jealous. That's what I want to do. I want to go to the beach and live yeah. there and all that. But yeah. it was good. So we're coming on the fr- first summer of my entire life that I have not set foot on a beach or got into any body of water. Where are you gonna go? I think at the end of the baseball season. If once good. the Nationals are out, if they make the playoffs, or once they're eliminated, or if they don't make it, hopefully they do. But well, as soon as that go, I am I'm mm-hmm. heading and maybe get some fall beach time i actually love the off season i prefer it almost because there's nobody there and no, you can that's just, true you can that's just do true. anything but it's cold. i like it it's not that cold though okay. it's, I, I like it like though. right after baseball yeah season. october that's true mid mid late october it's a little chilly there's nobody mm-hmm. there it's good sweatshirt weather no bobby's super cozy there yeah um I'm, I'm loving that kind of weather but that's good glad you had a good week missed you last week uh we got through had a nice reunion with byron kerr oh, on the yeah. podcast so that was a lot of fun um so Trade deadline, Monday. Um, this, Amy, is this is going to be the strangest deadline. We say that kind of every year, but we mo- mostly say that in terms of, oh, my God, so many people are going to be dealt, or this is going to be pitcher hev- heavy or infield heavy or power bat heavy. This is going to be different in that there are no, like, there's no precedent for this. You know, it's a 60-game season. We're halfway there. You're trading probably for a rental for a month and then a postseason run. Then there's the aspect of eight teams per league make the playoffs. I mean, there's just so many different factors that make this trade deadline different than anything we've ever seen before. Well, and there, yeah, there's so much that goes into it. And it's weird because usually at, at this point in the season, we have an idea of what teams are looking for. GMs have a really good idea of whether they're going to be buyers, whether they're going to be sellers. But at this point, I don't even think they know. And I think it might come down, you know, through this entire next week for them to kind of determine that. So there's so much that goes into this year and with the expanded playoffs, with the shortened season, um, the money aspect of it, um, you know, even just just the idea that scouts aren't looking at prospects like they usually do. You know, they can't go to those alternative 
um, alternate training sites. And so they're not even really getting a look at guys. So there's just so many factors that go into this that just makes it such a weird deadline. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, let's hear from Mike Rizzo. He spoke to earlier this week uh, to reporters um, about how the Nationals are going to approach the deadline. You mentioned how this week turns out. Amy, I'm going to ask Mark Zuckerman how he thinks if the Nationals week this week, if they lose a bunch or if they win a bunch, of that changes their approach. But first of all, Mike Rizzo right now talking about how the Nationals will approach the 2020 deadline. Well, the deadline, we're still, gonna, we're still assessing where we are in the deadline. Uh, we we uh, Suffice to say, we're comfortable with our, our rotation right now. Uh, that doesn't mean that uh, we're not looking, and if a deal uh, uh, suits us, we, we won't make a deal. But uh, we're always on the look to improve our, uh, improve our ball club, but uh, we're, uh, we're excited and happy about the, uh, the, the prospects of our, of our rotation, not only for this year, uh, but for, the years going, for years moving forward. The scouting aspect will affect us a little bit. Uh, you know, we lean heavily on our on our scouts at the trade deadline, uh, but uh, we we will not take this any less aggressively. If that's your if that's your question uh, on yeah. how, how we go about the trade deadline, we're here to win the World Series this year, and uh, that never changes uh, in my mind or in Davey's mind or the owner's mind. Uh, we're we're here to win, and uh, we're very very competitive. And uh, if we see a, a, a place to improve ourselves uh, in a deal that makes sense for us. We're never afraid to pull the trigger. You hear Mike Rizzo right there mention, Amy, like you said, the scouting difference, how it's going to be. They, they rely so heavily on their scouting in terms of uh, the prospects that they target, the players they target in terms of how they're going to approach this deadline. It is so different. And then not to mention, Amy, the, uh, the I guess, ethical decision behind moving a player and his family, maybe not his family, during a pandemic, you know, it's like if the, if the national, and we're going to mention some names, but one of the first names we have on our list is a Dylan Bundy who's out in LA. What, like, how can you, I mean, it's baseball, it's, it's a sport, it's what happens, but how can you justify moving a person across the country during a pandemic? And then how do the protocols handle all of that? Once a player arrives at his new team, are they expected to quarantine for X amount of days? Uh, do they just go through normal testing as normal and are able to play right then and there? There's so many different questions that make this trade deadline so up in the air in terms of how it's going to work and how teams will approach it. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't know how testing is going to work, how they're going to do that, whether players are going to have to quarantine it's going to be weird and it's stuff that we never imagined we would have to think about you know trade deadlines are difficult you know trying to get get the value and you know get what you want for guys but then you add in all of this extra stuff even having to think about where guys are located on top of everything and it's crazy. Never thought we'd be here, but here we are. Yeah, I don't think I mean I I throw that out as someone just on the outside looking in. I I would think that Mike Rizzo isn't that too concerned about it. We've seen the Nationals and, and baseball in general in, baseball in general has improved over the last couple of weeks. The Nationals from day one have been really good with their protocols um, in terms of keeping everyone safe right. uh, day in and day out. So I don't think that would bother, not bother, but like distract Mike Rizzo too much in terms of how he's going to approach trading or trying to acquire a certain player. Um, there are some of these guys on our list that have already broken protocol, mm -hmm. though. And so, <laughs> and when we know how much Mike Rizzo values character and how much he values people who fit well into the Nationals clubhouse and with the players that are already there. So if someone that he thinks is going to be a distraction or a bother, I think he learned a lot from that Papabon uh, incident back in 2015. You know, it's not always about the talent the guy brings. Does he fit well with this team? Does he mesh well with the guys that are already here? I think he's going to consider that. Um, so stuff like that, breaking protocol, having a, having a mm -hmm. history, being really outspoken, um, 
good or bad. I mean, I think there are things that people are outspoken about right now, which are obviously good, but some things, you, you know, you don't want to see players attacking other teams or the league so vocally like we've seen some other guys do. So I think Mike Rizzo is going to take that into consideration as well. Right. I mean, any, any trade deadline, team chemistry and getting a guy with good character is so important. And some of these guys on our list, we've had an extra opportunity <laughs> to see them, you know, break some of these rules. Um, and, you know, I think that goes even back into not being able to go see some of these prospects. I mean, just when you're opting into these, you know, video and data, you know, technology, you're not seeing the real thing. You're not see necessarily seeing what a guy does when he strikes out or seeing him interact with his teammates. And that's a huge part of it. Nats take that in highly into consideration. And um, I think going into this, Rizzo is really going to have to think about, you know, team chemistry and building on this team instead of a guy that could possibly uh, interfere with what they're doing. Right. Now let's start getting into it then. Let's start talking about the uh, players. Before we do that, we're going to hear from Mike Rizzo because we figure that um, the Nationals are going to target starting pitching. I mean, that's their glaring issue right now. You have Strasburg down. Uh, you have Max and Corbin carrying this rotation. Anibal just had his first strong outing this past Sunday, and then Eric Fetty and Austin Voth are kind of dragging along. Um, we've seen them have back-to-back -back rough starts, although I right. think Fetty got the short end of the stick with the rain last night. But He always does. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he, um, he brings the rain. So I think that that's something to consider. But right now, I mean, this is a team that has prided themselves on starting pitching, and Mike Rizzo, we know, emphasizes starting pitching. Uh, but here's him, the Nas Nationals GM, talking about the depth that the Nationals have at that position. Well, we, we, we like the depth that we have at starting pitching, and we're one of, the, one of the organizations that have depth at that spot. We get calls about our starting pitching all the time, uh, and we feel very, very fortunate that we have that type of depth of young arms uh, that can contribute on the big league level. So uh, very, uh, very excited about uh, the, you know, the, uh, uh, the prospects of, of these young kids coming up. You look at, uh, you look at the Voth and the Fetties, the way they performed last year in a world championship season and, and helped us keep the, the, the ship afloat and pitch extremely well in, uh, in, a, uh, in a pennant race. Uh, and then, you know, you run guys out there like, uh, like a Will Crow and, and a Seth Romero who have, who have shown that uh, their stuff plays in the big leagues, that, that that is very positive news for us moving forward. And you look at the depth of, of, of young pitchers that we have coming on the farm with the, with the Cavellis and the Rutledges and the Adones and, and the Cates and those type of guys. We feel that uh, this organization is – uh, well stocked for a you know a run in you know in our one three and five year windows we feel good about the roster we have and the talent that we have amassed in the uh, not only at the big league level but in the minor league level well there's no shortage of starting pitching in the national system and mike rizzo knows that all too well he drafted and, and has developed a lot of these guys eight of the top 10 nationals top prospects are pitchers and then 10 of the top 12 are pitchers as well so i mean they've got plenty to deal from and and mike rizzo prides himself on developing you know we look at steven strasburg look at eric mm -hmm. fetty austin both guys who have uh, come up through the system and contributed at the major league level um and then obviously that all resulted in a world championship last year but that doesn't mean that these guys are major league ready. I mean, a lot of those names that he thrown around, you see Will Crow uh, make his major league debut uh, a couple of days ago. These guys aren't, and it's no fault of their own. They're just young, but they're not ready to contribute to this team right now. I mean, they have had been called upon because they've had to, but that is not, I don't think it's going to deter Mike Rizzo to look elsewhere and acquire a starting pitcher, even though it's just going to be a one-month rental. Yeah, I would imagine start a starter pitcher, a starting pitcher has to be on the top of his wish list. Um, 
they might go for a guy, you know, like maybe a veteran bat, maybe. But I definitely think they're going to go for a starter here. I mean, if you look at the 10 games since Strauss has gotten hurt, in seven of those, they've allowed their opponent to score five or more runs. So, and in the three games that they didn't, it was Corbin, Sanchez, and Scherzer on the mound. So, you can't expect your offense to put up, you know, five runs to win a game every single night. So, they have to go after a starter, I would imagine. In those couple of games recently that the Nationals have scored five-plus runs, the other team has scored more. Exactly. And so, like, the pitching has allowed them to either get too far ahead in order for this offense to catch up or has not al- mm-hmm. kept them at bay in order for the offense to overtake them late in the game. Um, all right, so a couple of names that we've put together. These are names that have been floating around all over baseball. Again, I think this is a weird trade deadline in that I think because of it's a, a m- one-month rental, it's going to be pretty obvious which players are going to be made available based on their contract status moving forward um, and, and, and in terms of where their uh, teams are right now. I, I think it is a little difficult because a lot of these teams – or not a lot, some of these teams – theoretically are still in the playoff race and because it's a shorter season because every win means so much more some of these teams could see themselves making the playoffs and with the expanded field more so than they would in a regular season so they might just say "Eh, screw it we're going to go for it we're not going to trade any of our assets we're going to try to make the playoffs as is or even we'll add to our team instead of sell off so i think that's something to keep in mind too exactly but the first name we have on the list is uh, as a team that is really underperforming i mean they are a lot of these a lot of people expected them to make the playoffs maybe with this expanded playoff field but that's the the la angels and uh, someone on that roster is dylan bundy who they acquired this past offseason from the baltimore orioles he has an extra year of contract control through 2021 so that might drive his price tag up a little bit but he is off to one of the best starts we've seen him ever have and this is the dylan bundy that the orioles thought that they were going to get to him when they drafted him yeah, exactly. He was had so many inconsistent years in Baltimore, and then he goes out there and he's having an outstanding year. He's one of the bright spots um, in the rotation. And, you know, with dwindling control, they might be forced to deal him. Um, and they didn't – it didn't take a whole lot to get him, and I think they'll get more value back for him now. Um, so I think that's definitely a guy – you know, could be could be a good fit, and I think we'll definitely get dealt. Yeah, I think for the Angels, it's a question of do you keep him to build your rotation around him? Right. Because they have the offense. You have Mike Trout. You have Anthony Rendon. You have uh, Otani. You know, you would think that you have enough offense to carry. It's always been a question of pitching for the Angels. Um, so do you keep him, or do you use him as bait to maybe bring in some more prospects uh, to, to build around for the future? Because, you know, you signed Ant- – Mike Trout to that long contract a couple mm-hmm. years ago. Then you sign Anthony Rendon in the offseason. <laughs> You're aiming for a championship, and you need pitching. Get them pitching. some pitching. Get yeah, them some you pitching. need some pitching. Another <laughs> note for him, he once he led all of baseball that one season in giving up home runs. He's only allowed four this year, so that seems like something he's corrected. Okay. Um, moving over to Cincinnati, they have a pair of pitchers. Um, now, this is a guy that I was kind of hinting towards when I met outspoken. Trevor Bauer has been obviously one of the most vocal players in all of baseball this year <laughs> for both good and bad reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, calling out the Astros. Uh, we know about the cleats that he weren't al- wasn't allowed to wear. But he's having himself a really good season. And, and the Reds are a team that you, I, I, 
people expected them to be competitive this year, and then they're another one of those teams with the expanded playoff field. They might just say, hey, we think we can sneak in there. The NL is so bad this year in terms of overall. Every Almost half the teams are under 500 right now. We think we have a chance. We're going to keep him, and he's going to be our ace moving forward. Exactly. And, you know, when the season started, they thought they'd be competing for an NL Central title. Now they're, you know, like six games below 500. Um, so they're, they're right there, like a couple good series, and they're right back in it. Or, you know, they keep losing, he keeps pitching well, you know, you might be able to get something for him. So they're one of those teams that you just you just don't know what they, they're going to do. And I don't think they know what they're going to do until they get through this next week, maybe even. Yeah, he's only 29 years old, too. That's relatively, not even, not even 30 yet. That's relatively young for a pitcher right. um, who is a pending free agent. So if the Reds decide that they're out this season, you know, that's something that they could just someone they could get something in return before he walks possibly uh, this right. offseason. He has had uh, two seven-inning shutouts this year at the back end of doubleheaders. We know the shortened uh, doubleheaders, but he's thrown seven-inning shutouts in those uh, back ends of the doubleheaders so far this season. That mm-hmm. keeps his ERA at 165, and he's 3-1 and one on the season. Um, his teammate, Anthony Descalfini, Another right-handed pitcher, another pending free agent, someone he's he's only 30, so you know, around that ripe age that you would want. Someone that he is his numbers aren't nearly as good as Trevor Bowers. That might be more of a target where Mike Rosa could be like, okay, you have less value than a Trevor Bauer, uh, than a Dylan Bundy, than maybe some of those other guys we're gonna uh, mention. We've see we have enough tape on you where we think we can correct you and you can be like our fourth or fifth starter moving forward. And you know, they might be more willing to deal a guy like that just because they have a good rotation I mean they have one of the best rotations in baseball like right behind the Nationals when they're healthy um so that you're absolutely right about him that's that might be a guy Rizzo can say yeah less value here maybe we can we can work with you five seven one ERA and four starts only 11 strikeouts to seven walks but like I said that's something that he has long enough track record maybe that uh, Rizzo could take a chance on him all right another Ohio team the Cleveland Indians another team that we're not sure where they're going to how they're going to approach the deadline. They're currently third in the AL Central. Um, they're in the thick of it. I think they're technically, they would be a wild card team in the American League right now if the season ended today. So you wonder how they're going to approach the deadline. But, you know, I think I we only bring these two guys up because these are the guys that I, we mentioned earlier that broke protocol, Mike Clevenger and Zach Plesak. You, you, the Indians, and, and we've seen the Indians, you know, they treated that situation so well. They have a very similar approach uh, in mm-hmm. terms of how they deal with their players and, and the the characters that they have in their clubhouse, like the Nationals, kind of that you're with us or you're against us attitude. If you're a hindrance, we're going to get rid of you. It's not so much that the Indians, whether they're competing or not, it's whether are they going to tolerate these two guys anymore. Clevenger actually makes his return after breaking protocol tonight, Wednesday night, for the first time. So it'll be interesting to see how he uh, looks in his first start back. Yeah, and they kind of find themselves in a similar situation that like Trevor Bauer was in last year. Um, it's whether they're going to you know, deal with it or not and get rid of these guys. Um, but he's coming back tonight, so we'll see how he does. He has three starts. He's 1-1 one one this season, a 3-2-4 ERA, 15 walks – or, I'm sorry, 15 strikeouts to 10 walks. Yeah, and he's a career 320 ERA guy, which is pretty solid. He, he, 30, 20, 29 years old, excuse me. Plesek doesn't really make it for me because he's so young. He the, the the Indians have so much control over him. I think they would could probably ride it out and maybe feel like that they can not adjust his character, but like this was just a mishap of a young player. 
that they can kind of correct. And then Clevenger is the one that because he's a little older, they're like, you know, we don't need this they're right less, now. They're less likely to work with him. But he does have two seasons of control left. So I mean, he's not that dispensable. That's true. I mean, that he does have true. value attached to him, yep. which if they wanted to, could be like, all right, then we need some good prospects back for him. Um, all right, another team that is really low in the ring, I believe Texas is actually, they're higher than the Angels. They're, <laughs> I think, safe to say out of it. I mean, again, it's in this weird season, they could get hot and, and make a push for uh, that mm-hmm. eighth seed, if you want to call it, let, like you know, like in the NBA. Mm-hmm. But, but is that their plan? Right, and w- at what cost? You know, what, what's the point? If mm-hmm. You're going to be. It's like, you know, I tie it locally here to the Wizards. What's the point of being the eighth seed just to get swept by the Bucks in the first <laughs> round? What's the point of being the eighth seed in the in the in the American League just to get swept by the Yankees in three games or two games? Mm-hmm. I guess. Um, you know what? What does that really get you? Um, and they have a couple of veteran pitchers. These guys are both over 30, so they're a little older, but that might make them a little more easy to trade for. And Lance Lynn and Mike Miner, these guys also have long track records. So in a shortened season, even though Lynn has numbers that look really solid, we have uh, a a bigger um, grasp of what they like uh, in the long term. Lynn has been fantastic this season. He's also coming at a a really cheap contract. He is a 1.59 ERA in seven starts. He's 4-0 and um, and 50 strikeouts. He's only allowed five home runs. And he's under wraps for less than $10 million through next year. So you're getting not just this last month in a playoff push, but 2021, you know, next year is also uh, Max Scherzer's last year. We know Patrick Corbin and Steven Strasburg here for a long time. How much time does Anibal Sanchez have in this rotation? Maybe this guy is someone that you can trade for now and becomes your fourth or fifth starter in 2021. Right, and he's definitely the more attractive option compared to Mike Miner, who has six starts this season. He's 0-5, 6-7-5 ERA, 29 uh, strikeouts, but 10 walks, and he's just struggling this season. A huge dip in his velocity. Lance Lynn is definitely the more attractive option out of Texas. Yeah, and I think that's interesting because, like I said, I think the added cheap contract for next year at his age, like that's not, he's, it's not a young guy with a cheap contract. It's an older guy with a cheap contract that the Rangers, I mean, how much is he in the Rangers' future plans if they could get a couple of pitching prospects from the Nationals back um, to move forward and then the Nationals get a, a full year worth of um, of Lance Lynn. All right, this is interesting too. Uh, the Red Sox have been probably the biggest disappointment in all of baseball this year, uh, and it's due to their pitching, but the one guy that does draw some interest who the Nationals actually will see this weekend in Fenway is Nathan Avaldi. He's 30 years old. He's owed about $17 million this year. For the rest of this year, that's obviously pro-rate. Oh, no, sorry, next year and 2022. So for the next two years, he's owed $17 million apiece. So he is a little pricey, a, a little more pricey than some of these other guys. But he was scratched from his start, I believe, Tuesday with a, ca- a calf, calf cramp. Yeah. Um, and he's going to be pitching against the Nationals on Saturday, two days before the deadline. They're going to get a front row uh, view of him and how he looks. Maybe that's something that will last push because we know the Red Sox, I mean, Actually, we don't know what the Red Sox are doing, (laughs) but I would figure the Red Sox are just doing a full-on fire sale. Well, it's hard to tell also because you would imagine that. They're definitely going to be sellers here, but also are they thinking about next year when they're going to be more competitive? They get Eduardo Rodriguez back. You get Chris Sale back. Do you want to keep a guy like for the back end of your rotation? You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Or are they going to, you know, be big sellers and maybe, you know, we'll see him go, but... 
good outings this year. Um, injury history, but he's proven himself. Been probably the only bright spot of Boston's rotation. Um, and they'll get a, f- a front row seat of it to see him this weekend. Yeah, so. on Saturday it'll be interesting to see. His ERA is creeping near five, but I think that's just more of the uh, think of the lineups he's been having to face in terms of the AL East. I don't think I think with the price, I'm not sure that's how the Nationals are going to go. But yeah, he's all, already thirty though, and with two more years at seventeen million dollars, it's like, I mean, for both sides, if it's it's. True. The, the Red Sox, it's like, well, why are we going to pay this guy $17 million for the next two years if we're just going to do a complete rebuild? Mm-hmm. And for the Nationals, why are we going to pay $17 million a piece for the next two years for this guy who's already 30? Um, and half of our rotation, more than half of our rotation, we four of our top five guys are exactly. a well above 30 as well. Exactly. So we're just adding another veteran arm might not be the way to go. Maybe they'll try to go younger. All right, a couple more names um, before we get to Mark Zuckerman. Um, another Boston guy actually is Martin Perez. Uh, he has a contract that is pretty cheap, uh, a mutual option for next year. So that's something that might be enticed. He's got a three, four, five ERA this season um, with the Red Sox, a left-hander to go along with Patrick Corbin in the top of the rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Mike Rizzo doesn't really have like a track record of favoring one or the other right. or or wanting to keep it even. So I, righty lefty, I think that's an, a topic of this conversation that we haven't touched on because I don't really think it's going to matter. I, I think it's going to be strictly yep. stats numbers and, and contract status. Um, moving on, a, a team out west, this is kind of a ties in with the Dylan Bundy thing in terms of, you know, how right is it to move a guy across the country during a pandemic? But Drew Smiley with the uh, San Francisco Giants, again, another team, I think, I got it right here, they are like a game out of a wild card spot in the National League or two or so. So they're right in it too. Mm-hmm. It's another one of those questions are, or do the Giants, are they fully committing to this rebuild or are they just kind of going to be hovering over and being average? They, we saw this, and this was a question last year too at the trade deadline. Amy, what are the Giants doing? Because they, I think, at the end of July in 2019, they theoretically were still in it and doing mm-hmm. better than expected. So they may be considering making a late push. We know that they sold off a couple of their pieces to some contenders, but they were still kind of in the mix of it, more better than uh, some people thought they were going to be. Yeah, the thing with Smiley is he was out earlier this month with the, the finger issues, left index finger strain. Um, do the Nats? You know, you only have once. At the trade deadline, you have 27 days left of this regular season. Do you want a guy that's dealing with injuries when you only have him, you know, for a month, you know? Yeah. And the other thing that I thought interesting, he hasn't gotten out of the fourth inning in his two starts. Uh, he's made three appearances, two starts, mm-hmm. one out of the bullpen, I think, in the opening night when they got crushed by the Dodgers. Uh, but that's, you know. Do you want to add a guy like that? Is it worth Right. It? Are you just adding another Eric Fetty, Austin Vogt? Exactly. I mean, we've heard Davey Martinez mention time and time again over the last week, we need our starters to go deeper into the game. So they're probably going to be looking for guys who can eat up innings as well, not just strikeout numbers. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or And if that's his track record this season, that's what they have to look at. Or right. Yeah. And this bullpen's already going to be tired enough. Um um, one more name that kind of caught my eye. I don't think Marco Gonzalez is a guy in Seattle, but you know, he is tied to the, his contract is tied him through 2024 right now. He's yeah. 28 years old. He seems like he's going to be locked in with Seattle for a little bit. Um, or he's going to cost the world. Um, uh, if someone wants to trade for him right now, because his contract is so long mm-hmm. and, and the Mariners could, could demand it. But Robbie Ray, someone who nationals fans might be familiar with because he was a former nationals draft pick. He was included in the trade for Doug Fister all the way back in 2015 in December. Um, 
and he has had himself a, a pretty nice career, he, an all-star appearance one of the seasons uh, with the Diamondbacks. Uh, his numbers aren't flashy at all. They're not very – I mean, he's an ERA over eight, only 35 strikeouts. He leads the majors in 25 walks. I only bring him up, left-handed pitcher, but I, I really only put him on this list because – one, not sure what the Diamondbacks are doing. They're in last place in the NL West, and that's a tough division, enough to catch up. So you have to figure that they would figure that they're kind of out of it because if they're looking up at the Giants, Rockies, Padres, and Dodgers, I mean, you have to think about the other 10 teams in the in the National League. Mm-hmm. You also have to catch up to. But I was also thinking that Robbie Ray, being a former draft pick, this is someone that Mike Rizzo probably knows pretty well and has scouted in person before. Right. And also his ties to the Diamondbacks, he probably has some good connections where he can get a true and honest evaluation of Robbie Ray. And maybe he can think of ways that he can kind of correct those stats that are are kind of weighing Robbie Ray down right now. Exactly. He's a lefty. (laughs) Uh, He has a good career track record. He has highly rated stuff. It's just in his walk year, he's decreasing his trade value, you know. Um, But he's he's a lefty. You might want... He, he's Rizzo's seen him before, sees value in him. So this is a guy you might be able to work with. He strikes guys out, so he's definitely an option. Yeah, and he's probably has a history, too, with Patrick Corbin and, and their time True. at the Diamondbacks. So it'll be interesting to see. Again, the trade deadline is Monday, uh, I think late afternoon. I think it's usually like 4 o'clock Eastern. Um, and don't know what could happen. Uh, we A lot of teams can move. A lot of teams can stay put. Um, there's so many questions up in the air. Um, be sure to keep Locked in on MassInSports.com and our Massin National social media accounts uh, for the latest updates uh, leading up and beyond the trade deadline to see if anything happens or any moves are made. Um, thanks to Brendan Mortensen for help working and hustling behind uh, the <laughs> console uh, working today's show. Uh, you can give Amy a follow on Twitter at Amy Jennings News. I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco. And, of course, follow the Mass and All Access podcast on your, social, on your favorite platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud, and, of course, Mass and National's social media channels across the board. Stay tuned. I'm going to chat to Mark Zuckerman about his thoughts on the Nationals' approach to the trade deadline right now. Now joined on the Mass and All Access podcast by our Nationals beat reporter for MassInSports.com, Mark Zuckerman. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time. I know it's been a busy week. It has, Bobby, and uh, I anticipate an even busier week ahead, as we're going to talk about here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the trade deadline is just a couple days away. The halfway point for the national season is Friday. Uh, a lot's going on this week. This is kind of a make-or-break type week. Uh, I know this trade line's really different from we've seen in the past. Uh, we know the Nationals are often big players this time of year, but how do you foresee this deadline maybe being different or how the, or the Nationals and Mike Rizzo are going to approach Monday's uh, trade deadline? Well, there's so many reasons why this is different. I mean, you've only got one month's worth of material to work off of to make your evaluations and decide uh, how you want to approach this year. You only have one month to go. So if you're acquiring a player, in theory, you're only getting him for a month before then making the playoffs. You have a 16-team playoff field, which completely changes the calculus. And I I think the biggest effect that's going to have is that there may only be a handful of teams that are legitimately sellers. You can be well under 500 and still feel like you're in the race. And the Nationals, in fact, may be in that situation themselves. So you throw that into it. And then the fact that there's really no in-person scouting of players from other teams. They're relying entirely on video and uh, word of mouth and just prior scouting reports they have from years past. So 
it really complicates everything. And I'm not sure what to expect. I don't know that anybody really knows what to expect. My hunch is that this is not going to be nearly as active of a trade deadline as we're used to. Yeah, exactly. And I think your good point about the level of competition teams that are still figuring themselves are in the race. Um, does the rest of this, I mean, we've seen the Nationals drop two tough games to division opponents, both teams that we figured that they should beat pretty handily. Does the rest of this week maybe play out how, how it plays out? Does that kind of change Mike Rizzo's approach to Monday? Uh, maybe if they, you know, win out or they end up taking two or three from the Phillies, they sweep the Red Sox, whatever it may be, or the complete opposite. Does that maybe change his effect to how those, the rest of this week plays out? I think it's possible, but it would probably have to be one of those two extremes, either a five and one week or one in five week that would maybe change the, the position that they're in. I think if they just have a kind of typical up and down week like they've been doing so far and, you know, they're still three, four games under 500, I, I don't see this team selling. I think it would take a, a full col- uh, full on collapse this week. And even then, maybe not, um, you know, even then they maybe wouldn't do that. But I also don't know that it's going to be a full scale. We're all in going for broke, trying to win this year. Even if they had a big week and they kind of put themselves back in the in the thick of it, what we have to remember is there's just not that much incentive to winning your division this year. Uh, you're going to still play in a best of three series, uh, yes, against the, uh, the lesser seeds, but in a 60-game season, that may not be that much difference. Um, you know, home field advantage does not mean what it would normally. And we don't even know it's possible that it'll be on a neutral site somewhere if they decide to have a bubble. So I really think any moves that are made are more in the the mold of what do we think can help us have a better chance of ultimately trying to win another world series or not. And then how motivated are they to, to go for broke the fact they won it last year. I mean, I hate to say it, but I do think that that changes it. I don't think there's necessarily as much motivation on their side to feel like they need to do a lot. Uh, if they don't win this year between the, the strangeness of the season and the fact they just won it last year, I just don't think there's that same pressure and urgency that we saw last year. And that we'll probably see from other teams like the Dodgers, the Yankees, um, you know, maybe even the Cubs, uh, you know, teams that really are trying to win this year and have some pressure to do so. There's just not that much pressure here to win this year. Yeah, exactly. And also coming off a World Series win for the Nationals, you know, you wonder how much they obviously figure themselves a competitive team, but how much did they really feel like they need to go for it all in in 2020 as opposed to preparing for themselves for 2021? Um, Mark, obviously the glaring need, and this is the first time in, I can remember that their glaring need is starting pitching as opposed to relief pitching. Um, Amy and I went through a couple of names earlier in the podcast. Yeah, Dylan Bundy possibly out in L.A., a team that's underperforming. Other teams like in Texas, uh, maybe Cleveland, Cincinnati, San Francisco have starting pitchers that they may be putting on the block. But some of those teams also figure themselves to be competing, so that will be interesting to see. But aside from starting pitching, where else do you see the Nationals possibly targeting uh, a trade acquisition um, in terms of a position? Well, real quick on starting pitching, that's always the toughest thing to acquire right. at a trade deadline. It costs the most, both in terms of dollars and prospects. And so this year, even more so, it complicates the situation. So yeah, they would love to get someone and maybe there is a way they can pull something with that off. Um, but I think it's going to be complicated. I, I think more likely uh, areas to look at would be a left-handed reliever with Doolittle out, with Seth Romero now out, Rowanis Elias out. Uh, that is an area of need. Now, maybe not as much as in the past because of the three batter minimum rule where um, you know you, you don't have a lefty that you're just bringing in to face one or two hitters. It's got to be somebody who can get righties out as well. 
So maybe a little less pressure, but those are usually moves you can make that don't cost a whole lot uh, in, in what you have to give up in return. So I think that's one. And the other one I think would be interesting would be um, a position player, not necessarily a big time bat middle of the order guy, although they could certainly you know, use that, but another like utility type player, maybe this year's version of Esdrubal Cabrera. It's kind of a, um, you know, under the radar type of move, but they can have a big impact. They're kind of stretched thin right now, especially in the infield um, with Howie Kendrick not playing every day and, and DHing a lot. You've got a 20 year old Luis Garcia at second base. You have a rookie Carter Keboom at third who uh, has struggled at the plate so far. And again, you're making all these evaluations on a very small sample to work with, but if they do feel like uh, they're missing something there, then I could see maybe a, a deal for someone who uh, has some experience, can maybe play multiple positions. It gives you a good professional at bat. And again, those are the kind of moves that, that probably don't cost a whole lot. Yeah, another name that I actually saw being tossed out aside from starting pitching was maybe a Jonathan Scope, someone who can play multiple positions in the infield and bring some offense to the plate. Uh, Mark, obviously, you know, we, we're kind of stuck on starting pitching, but shifting gears in terms of who the Nationals could deal, you know, it takes two to make a deal. Who is the Nationals could dealt from their uh, pitch, starting pitching depth? They have a lot in their top uh, prospect rankings. Uh, I think aside from Carter Keboom and Luis Garcia, the rest of their top 10 are starting pitcher or pitchers. Um, who do you see that the Nationals could possibly dangle out as, as bait for other teams in terms of making a deal? Or, or could they go even further down the line and, and um, maybe hand out or deal someone who is not as highly touted in, some of their ter- in terms of their top prospects? Well, we've seen Mike Rizzo is always uh, very adverse to giving up his top prospects. Uh, we've seen it for years. He did relent and gave up Giolito, and look how that has now turned out. Not saying that was a bad trade in the end, but um, that was the biggest name, certainly top prospect that used to be untouchable that he traded. We've seen in recent years, would not trade Robles, would not trade Soto, would not trade Kibum. So I think the last couple of first-round picks, guys, Cade Cavalli, Jackson Rutledge, I think those are names that are probably off the table. They have high hopes for them. Uh, so you'd probably be going further down the list. I think it's interesting that guys like Will Crow and Ben Bramer have been called up to the big leagues now. We've, we've only seen Crow once. We haven't seen Bramer yet. Obviously, those are moves that are made because the team needs help right now. But that is also a way to showcase some young pitchers who otherwise would not be able to be scouted. And maybe in the back of his mind, Mike Rizzo is saying, hey, if we can get these guys a couple of appearances and they pitch well, Maybe they can help us, but maybe they could also help us get somebody else um, as two guys who they like, but maybe are not seen as the, the elite pitching prospects in the organization. Guys whose ceilings are maybe more middle of the rotation than top of the rotation. So that would be interesting to me. Um, you know, but for the most part, of we, as we've seen, he does not like trading away the big name guys. Uh, if, it, if it is somebody else, it's probably lower end and probably a guy who's farther away from the big leagues. But I just don't know what GMs are thinking this year. Uh, can you get traditional value for players or not? Can you ask for the moon or is, are you going to say, Hey, you're only getting one month of a rental player. Um, you know, we're just not going to give up anything of consequence. And then teams are still willing to do it. I just don't know it, that we're, we're entering uncharted waters here. And I'm not sure anybody really has a grasp of how this is all going to play out. Right. And on that note, just to kind of wrap up, I mean, how do GMs, 
not not specifically Mike Rizzo, but GMs in general, kind of approach this because we heard from Mike Rizzo earlier in the podcast, him talking about the scouting, how important scouting is, but there's limited access to video and in-person scouting this year, um, and it's only due to or constrained to the alternative training sites. How do GMs and scouts approach this deadline in terms of the information they can get, and then how do they turn that back into um, their dealings with other teams? Yeah, all they can base it off of is what they knew about these people in the past uh, or what they're able to catch on video. And, and I thought Davey Martinez had some great points yesterday uh, during his group session with all of us. And he talked about how even when he's managing, he is scouting, too. And he's watching players, not just from his own team, but from other teams. And what he looks for, and you're not going to find this in video, is what are how do players react to things happening on the field? What's their demeanor? How do they react to good things happening? How do they react to bad things happening? So much of what the Nationals do here, every time they make a move, we always hear them talk about how important it is that whoever they pick up fits into the clubhouse and uh, fits in with the, the environment they're trying to create here. Well, a lot of that is based on what they see with their own eyes in person at games. And if they don't have as much of that information, then they are now having to rely on video and also word of mouth. These guys all know other people around the sport, so they're calling each other and asking for questions. Hey, you, uh, you you played with this guy or you you coached this guy. What, you know, what's he really like? What, what do I need to know about him that we're not going to see in video? So it, it presents quite a challenge. Um, you know, They're not going to openly complain about it because this is the situation they're in. But I know that they're not going to feel like they are as well informed as they would normally like to be when they make these deals. Yeah, you're either with us or you're in the way. Something Mike Rizzo has always said. We know that he puts a lot of value into those intangibles that don't show up on the stat sheet. Mike, um, excuse me, not Mike, Mark. Great insight. Hopefully we'll get some more information from Mike later this week. And as the trade deadline approaches, be sure to give him a follow at Mark Zuckerman on Twitter. And, of course, follow the blog on MassInSports.com. He'll be up to date with the latest news as the trade deadline approaches. Mark, thanks so much for the time. Thank you, Bobby. (laughs) 